Hey, Ren, do you want to know something really interesting about me? I am always jonesing to hear more interesting Aria factoids. Do tell. Not a lot of people know about this because, you know, I've never had the chance to really talk about it. But since we're doing this episode on weird sleep phenomena, I thought that it was great to bring up. So in freshman year, apparently, this was, you know, three years ago. It's been a long time. I don't know if I do this anymore. Probably do because I don't have a roommate, but I used to sleepwalk and sleep talk and sleep eat and sleep sing. I was just very active during the night, you know? Whoa, a very restless rester. That's crazy. Wait, what happened? Essentially, there's a story. My roommate used to stay up super late and I used to go to bed at around 11 p.m. She used to be awake at around 2 a.m., anything like that. So one night, I, she told me that I bolted up from my bed, looked straight at her, started having a conversation with her and replied to her properly and everything. And then I got out of my bed, walked around the clutter of my desk, which I'm really surprised that I was able to do that because I had to step over a lot of like books and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I like went to our fridge, pulled out a piece of food that I did not know was in there. As in like, I did not use my fridge because, you know, we were eating dining hall food, not really, didn't really need to use the fridge for me, but it was my roommate's food. I pulled it out, unwrapped it and ate it while sitting on the floor and having a conversation with my roommate. Wow. Honestly, that's just impressive. I know. But the next morning... I didn't remember anything. And my roommate was like, wait, you don't remember anything that happened? And I was like, yes, I I don't remember anything. Wow. That's bonkers. Fully functional, dude. Fully functional, just going about regular human business while my roommate's cheese. Yeah. Eating eating your roommate's cheese. It was her cheese. I mean, we all need that midnight cheesy snack. I understand what your body was after. I knew that I had eaten a piece of cheese or like some sort of food that night. And I believed her story because that morning I woke up with like rancid breath. I was like, (laughs) oh, cheese mouth. (laughs) You get that morning cheese mouth. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. That's intense. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Well, um. While we're on the subject of odd things to do during sleep, uh, I think I actually have the opposite problem of you as as opposed to being super active in sleep, walking around and stuff. I can't get up. Uh, I like, oh. you know, sleep paralysis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. those memes where like the sleep paralysis demon kind of holds you down and you can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, like I've never had a deep. Okay, maybe once. Anyways, <laughs> there have been like, a, like, I don't know, it's not a demon. It's just I can't move when I'm trying to wake up sometimes. It's really, it's really odd. And not in the way of, oh, wow, bed's so comfy. I, I can't get out of it. It's literally like I am trying so hard to move and it's just not happening. It's pretty wild. Feels like you're trapped in your own body. Yeah. Do you like recognize now, like, because I think you've had it often. Do you like recognize that you're, 
paralyzed like what's like racing through your head like are thoughts racing through your head or yeah typically I I realize it's happening and I'm like ah heck here we go again I gotta (laughs) ride this out until I can move again and then honestly it's easier to like I guess I bust out of (laughs) it's easier for me to bust out when I'm when I'm thinking about like oh it's fine we've been here before Yeah. yeah see that's how much that's how much you can control yourself that's admirable Ren. thank good work thank good work you. thank you Arya. working hard well while we're talking about weird sleep phenomena let's let's dive in let's dive into what those phenomena are the most commonly experienced ones and just kind of what what's going on in the human brain while it attempts to seek rest and res- repose from this life that we all live um So these phenomena that we've been talking about so far are actually classified under the umbrella term parasomnia, which is just kind of a large overreaching term for abnormal behaviors while falling asleep, during sleep, or in the state between sleep and wakefulness, which I suppose is when you're just kind of half awake, which which would kind of be like sleep paralysis. So let's first talk about sleepwalking. Sleepwalking is not super duper common, but it is referred to as somnambulism and is classified as a type of parasomnia. So essentially sleepwalking is where people engage in simple or complex motor actions, not just walking, which can be any sort of like movement that your body is doing that doesn't require a lot of crazy, crazy cognitive work. So during the deep sleep stage of of sleep where people exhibit low consciousness and do not experience dreams, that is when somnambulism uh, occurs. Now, because people are not as aware or responsive to their surroundings when sleepwalking, this can lead to injuries, um, which is, you know, not great. You stub your toe, you, 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 you bump into a wall, you get a little bruise, get a little bump on your head, not good. But more often than not, people engage in very simple tasks like walking, performing routines, such as maybe Aria eating a piece of cheese, but that's more related to sleep eating, which we'll discuss here in a second. So less often people engage in complex tasks like sleep driving a car, which to me is is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I could not imagine like coming to consciousness. I've taken a drive. My my car's got 200 extra miles. We went we went downtown, you know, we hit we hit we hit the town. I, I just can't imagine having done that in my in my sleep. Like, it's really interesting because I thought, I mean, even as a sleep walker, sleep talker, whatever, I thought that my eyes would be closed during everything that I'm doing when I'm sleep doing stuff. But no, your eyes are open. So these people can actually see where they're driving and they're asleep in quotations. And that's maybe worse than if they were clo- like closed, of course, would be very scary because you can't see, but like having them open and unable to process or remember any of that information, it's wild. Imagine like getting into a car chase, like, oh yeah, like they just keep driving because like wh- whenever the police drivers are trying to pull them over, they, they don't pull over for some reason. Maybe if that, if that's how it works. I don't know. Cause do sleep drivers like stop at stop signs and red lights and things that's such a good question hold on like i can't imagine you're an attentive driver if you're uh 
for all that is for all intents and purposes unconscious like I don't know I just don't think that would work out well these bouts of sleep walking talk or driving or whatever it is you may be sleep doing uh, usually last for about 10 minutes but can range from seconds to 30 minutes so not very long not long enough for a road trip but definitely long enough to get up to some mischief I don't know I can get up to a lot of mischief in 30 minutes personally now after a sleepwalking episode people often have no memory whatsoever of the episode just like Ari was saying no idea that she woke up and walked around and talked to her roommate and all that jazz i mean you engaged in all of the big three really the big three of sleep phenomena sleepwalking talking and eating that said let's talk a little bit about sleep talking which is similar but not quite the same so it's another type of parasomnia that is commonly referred to as somniloquy these are such pretty words to somniloquy somnambulism it's like ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like them somniloquy or sleep talking is where people make audible expressions during their sleep with their vocal cords. So these expressions can be incomprehensible, such as mumbling and silent speech. They uh, can also be comprehensible, which is characteristic of typical dialogue, such as holding an actual proper conversation. I once was in a cabin at a camp with someone who said that they were playing poker with the pickles. And that was maybe the strangest sleep sentence I ever heard someone utter. They said that in their sleep? Mm-hmm. Deep sleep. And it was like, oh, you know, wait, I got it wrong. She woke up to tell us that the dream was about playing poker with, with dogs, like in that famous painting, oh, which was oh. funny in its own right. But then what she had said was no, I don't want the cupcake. I just want a pickle. And I just, I was so baffled and, and blown away that I could not, I could not believe that I, I, those words had graced mine earlobes on that fine day, but they did. It's wild. Um, sleep talking is similar to sleepwalking in that people often have no memory of the episode when they wake up. Additionally, it doesn't last very long and Sleep talking, you usually just hear people say a few words or sentences, and that's that. Back to sleep with you. Now, the other common phenomena here uh, that Aria experienced herself is sleep eating. Now, sleep eating is also a pretty common phenomena, but um, not, not one that's always natural. Like, yes, some people just sleep eat because it's related to their sleep sleepwalking and parasomnia habits it just sort of is something that crops up when you're doing small fine motor tasks while asleep however it is also a a common a common symptom of some medications it's like some prescribed medications for example ambient which is something that people are given to sleep better and reduce anxiety that that drug can cause people to wake up and sleep eat. It's like a weird side effect that if you're taking Ambien, you very well might raid your own fridge and wake up like, who took all the, the who took all the deli meat? I don't know what you'd eat in your sleep. Deli meats and cheeses, um, the old, old undercooked rotisserie chicken that's in there. I don't know. Whatever suits your fancy. Um, <laughs> I, I suppose. So that that's that's that on sleep eating. I don't believe that 
Aria was was on the prescribed drug Ambien or any other drug. I believe no, it was, I was just not. something that happened. I think there you personally, go. I think it happened because uh, freshman year and sophomore year were quite stressful years for me. Actually, mm. never mind. I've just had stressful years for the past like 10 years. But <laughs> no, because stories of me sleepwalking, sleep singing, sleep doing whatever uh, have started since I was like 12. So the past 10 years have been a doozy. But I think I was just it was just like a stress related event, which which we'll discuss like causes and stuff. But yeah, yeah, stress and sleep have a very bad uh, relationship with one another and cause each to do very strange things. (laughs) So that's exciting. We'll explore that in a moment. Um, Some other less common, I guess, but definitely popular and like glamorized by the media um, phenomena that we should talk about these parasomnias are those of lucid dreaming and sleep paralysis so let's dive into lucid dreaming first Um, lucid dreaming is where a person is aware that they are dreaming while they are physiologically still asleep so in lucid dreams people can sometimes control their actions in the dream and even retain memory of their experiences after waking up These tend to occur in REM sleep, which is your deepest stage of sleep, and can definitely be very vivid and intense. And it's mostly where you're like, wow, this is a dream. I could do anything. I'm a fly or something. I don't know what you do when lucid dreaming, but that's pretty much where that's at. And I mean, lately, the thing people are talking about is turning lucid dreams into astral projections where you like have an out of body sleep experience. I know that's blowing up on the net lately, but that is like, I don't really know, (laughs) honestly, how valid that is. Like, I'm certain it's a real dream. I I don't know if your soul projects itself outside of your physical body, uh, as many people believe it does, but it is certainly an interesting sleep phenomena. But yeah, lucid dreaming. I've seen a lot of that actually on like the internet of like people talking about how like you're not supposed to say certain things while you're lucid dreaming. Like uh, you're not supposed to acknowledge that you know that that is a dream and it's not real, like stuff like that. What does that do? Does it mess up the trip? I'm confused. I don't know. I just know you're not supposed to do it, which I'm going to wholeheartedly follow that just the way that I don't go looking for ghosts. I don't, I've never seen one. I'm in, I'm on the fence of believing in all of these supernatural things and then mm-hmm. trying to go like the stereotypical, like scientific way where it's like, there's no such thing as ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So yeah. I'm on the fence. I have one leg in one uh, category, the other in the other. I I split right down the middle, you know? And a thin fence it is um, to to stand, to straddle upon, but I feel that I do the same. Um, I don't know. It's just, I don't believe that we're all experiencing some strange mass psychosis. Um, I know fear can do some tricky things to you. But also, I'm not completely willing to scratch every strange and unusual supernatural ghost phenomena type thing. I'm not willing to completely discredit it, but also grain of salt, grain of salt and all that jazz. Yeah. 
while we're on the subject of all this spooky stuff, let's talk about sleep paralysis. I feel like Captain America straddling that chair backwards was like, so you want to talk about sleep paralysis? That's where I'm at. Anyway, <laughs> yes. a very vivid picture for you all. So sleep paralysis, exactly what it sounds like, uh, except not. <laughs> it's where your body is essentially paralyzed um, while you're waking up. So your body is on its way to waking up and suddenly it's like your conscious mind jumps ahead of your body. So your body is still deep in REM sleep, but your mind has awakened. And because of that, your, your body is like stiff. It's still, it's still in sleep mode. And what usually happens during this is a brief and temporary muscle paralysis where your your body just it will not move. It believes it's still sleeping, it's still sleep time, and your body and your brain is ahead of ahead of the game there. During that time, it you often experience vivid hallucinations, and that that temporary muscle paralysis is called atonia. And while that's happening, uh, the, the, the room can feel like it's moving and your heart can feel like it's beating extremely fast um, when it's not. It's just that you think you're I mean, you think time is passing a lot slower than it actually is. So it just all feels very, very wonky. Um, and I know lots of people say like sleep paralysis demon. It's this one thing that always shows up and it's the same one. Um, I don't know about all that. But it is definitely just like, oh, wow, there's something in that corner. I know it. I can tell, but I can't look at it. I can't see it. I can't turn to see it because I'm stuck in this position. So it's a, it's not fun. I wouldn't describe it as fun. <laughs> yeah, I guess like I've heard that, I mean, while we were doing our research and listening to you, Ren, it seems like people kind of experience a very negative presence while yes. they are experiencing sleep paralysis which may lead to to the conclusion that oh there is a negative like apparition or like spirit or right near me right now a demon it's a, a demon a demon while we're on like the fact of some sleep paralysis people believing that it's a demon that's restricting you this is actually present in a lot of cultures a lot of different cultures have different ways to explain sleep paralysis so for example the canadian inuit attribute the sleep paralysis to like the spells of shamans so like oh the shaman is like conducting this spell. That's why, you know, we're not able to move at night. You've been hexed by the shaman. Exactly. And in Japanese folklore, they say that there's a vengeful spirit that suffocates its enemies or attempts to suffocate its enemy in their sleep. That's what sleep paralysis is to the Japanese. And then finally, in Brazilian folklore, these demons have a name, Pisadira, which is Portuguese for she who steps. So essentially, she's a crone with long fingernails who lurks on rooftops in the night and then walks on the chest of people who sleep, like belly up on a full stomach. Whoa. So if you sleep after having eat, like had a feast and you're sleeping on your back, She's going to walk on you. Wow, that's crazy. I almost wonder if that folklore pops up from the fact that like if you go to sleep right after eating, you feel gross and, and like 
you get heartburn and stuff. So it burns your chest. You know, there is a scientific explanation because, yeah, my mom always tells me, like, do not go to sleep right after you eat because all of that, like, acid from your stomach can come up and wreak havoc in places it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Acid reflux. It's uh, it it's its own kind of demon, I would argue. Oh, yeah. A demon that is very much so having a scientific explanation. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. As many demons do, I feel. A lot of cultures also theorize, and this is just, it's a theory, not rooted in science that much, maybe in math, but many people believe that people sleepwalk because they want to compensate for lost time during the day. So they do whatever they want to do or they need to do at night when they're asleep in quotation quotation marks god wish that was something i could do honestly i could really use the extra time you know there's a lot of mental stuff uh related to that so we'll see we'll see but i hope everyone gets a good rest because that's important important. yes yes why is it important because of the neuroscience of our brains why do we need sleep ren what's going on with that because it's good it's the good tasty brain break that we all need and love to have um it's also really like good for you 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 genuinely need sleep if your body is to continue to to be alive and serve you as a as a vessel i mean we could talk all day about the um the myth of the russian sleep experiment where it was like let's deprive these people of sleep and see what happens. And they like carved out their own eyes and things. It was intense. So like, we need it. We need it for sure. Yeah. Sleep is so important. So just like, we're going to cover the basic science of like how the brain deals with sleep real quick. So the brain experiences four different stages during sleep. S1, S2, S3 and REM. The brain cycles through these four stages at night in one hour and 30 minute cycles with these phases. Usually you only really go through S3 phase in the first cycle. So the first cycle, that first one and a half hour cycle, that's when S3 happens. So sleepwalking and talking happens in S3, which is the slow wave sleep phase. And REM is the dreaming stage. S2 has K-complexes and sleep spindles, which help with memory consolidation. So when you're going through S2, you're like, your brain's working on kind of preserving the memories that you may have made that day or, you know, anything like that. And inadequate REM sleep can actually lead to a variety of health problems, including foggy thinking, and worse physical or emotional health. So you're getting the point that sleep is so important. You need to get your REM sleep in there because your physical and emotional health depend on it. And S3, you know, you get in those slow waves, slow waves during S3, which might make sense why you're doing sleepwalking and sleep talking because your brain is still kind of functioning, but not to its greatest level i mean your brain is always functioning just to clarify 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's always it functioning. Always, it's always going. But the frontal lobe is experiencing slower waves, which is kind of crazy, kind of wild and craziness. So obviously REM sleep, very important. Sleep in general, very important. So another kind of thing that we'd like to discuss uh, that's related to sleep, or people think it is related, is restless leg syndrome. So restless leg syndrome is a neurological condition that causes unpleasant sensations in the legs and urges them to move. So like it urges the body to move your legs. It's considered a sleep disorder because symptoms are triggered by attempting to sleep, though it can also occur during other periods of rest, such as on airplanes. In severe cases of restless leg syndrome, the symptoms occur over twice a week. It's like every two days or every three days, you're not having a good time and they can impair sleep causing daytime drowsiness. Yikes. Uh, it doesn't sound fun. Uh, it does that not. much is for sure. There's evidence that restless leg syndrome is caused by the malfunction of dopamine pathways in the area of the brain called the basal ganglia, which controls movement. So if you don't have enough dopamine or those pathways aren't working, your movement is not going to be well controlled by your body. So that's why they kind of get restless and move around a lot. And generally, restless leg syndrome is a lifelong disorder and it worsens with age, although many cases are mild and do not affect a person's quality of life. It can be treated with therapy, lifestyle changes, or even severe cases where, you know, you have it happening to you twice a week drugs which increase the effect of dopamine so those pathways could kind of you know use those dopamine molecules and kind of try to fix themselves yeah helps you helps your brain shuffle dopamine around better which is nice so while we're on the subject of like restless leg syndrome which is something that really can can mess can put a dent in your sleep patterns and your lifestyle as a whole, um, we should talk about maybe one of the more common uh, tragedies of the human condition where, where sleep is um, something that you're unable to get effectively, and that is insomnia. Lots of people actually suffer from insomnia, which is horribly unfortunate, but essentially it's, it's where your, your body cannot get into that um, S3 and REM stage sleep that it needs to keep, um, keep going um, and to keep your body happy and healthy. Um, and this, this condition, it makes it hard to fall asleep, to stay asleep, can make you wake up too early and not be able to get back to sleep. And essentially, it's a case in which your circadian rhythms are thrown entirely out of whack, which is never good. Um, and speaking of circadian rhythms, uh, we should talk a bit about why those are important to us. Oh, yeah. Circadian rhythm, essentially... It's the 24-hour cycle, body's internal clock. So the reason that you might be waking up at 8 a.m. on the dot every single day without having to use an alarm is due to your circadian rhythm. 
And a really important point that one of our scriptwriters wanted to stress was to turn off your artificial light a few hours before you go to sleep, just to get that good sleep, those efficient cycles, those nice rest for your brain. But your master clock, your circadian rhythm is controlled by your brain. It's the master clock is in your brain. It's due to a thing in your brain, a little thing, a little part of your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus or the SCN. And plants and animals also have circadian rhythms. So the SCN is really sensitive to light. So this light cue regulates the signals that the SCN sends to the body to regulate waking up or going to sleep. So light signals alertness and dark signals sleepiness. So I guess you can make the conclusion here that turning off your artificial light is going to help you kind of go to sleep and maintain that proper circadian rhythm. So having an irregular circadian rhythm can lead to a lot of health problems like high cholesterol, diabetes, blood pressure, dementia, etc. There's a lot of stuff associated with having an irregular circadian rhythm. It's also involved in anti-cancer processes. And if your circadian rhythm is off, there's a chance anti-cancer drugs won't work as well as intended, which is wild to me. That is insane. I mean, you just, we take for granted how important regular sleep cycles are. And like myself included, I don't think I've had a consistent circadian rhythm since I was 10, but still it's, it's, it's so important. And I feel that we should, as a society, stress that more. Oh, heck yeah. And I mean, just like Ren said, a lot of us don't actually have proper circadian rhythms because of the artificial light that we use every day. It's in our bulbs, it's coming from our devices, it's everywhere. So disturbed circadian rhythm can also lead to sleep apnea and other sleep disorders like insomnia or sleep apnea, like sleep apnea, like not being able to breathe at night. So to maintain a healthy circadian rhythm, you should seek out light and sun during the daytime and seek out dark and dimly lit surroundings in the night times. So, but if you're going to take a nap, they should be short and in the afternoon. That's the best kind. A nice little cat nap. Little- those, those naps where you wake up with the blanket folds like pressed oh. into your cheeks. Those oh, are- yeah. That, that's my love language right yes. there, honestly. Yes. To be completely honest. Perfect. Just a nice little, little post-noon cat nap. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And while we're on the subject of circadian rhythms and the best time to take a nap, um, I think we should, we should dive into the human history a little bit more. Right, so let's back in the, the, the ages before the artificial light, if you will. So consider ancient medieval times and times when candles weren't in like crazy wide use. Um, people used to wake up in the middle of the night uh, from uh, the hours of about 2 to 3 a.m. and just be awake for a few hours, 2 to 4, 3 to 5. They'd just be up and at them. This was known as first sleep, then they would wake up at two or three, and then second sleep. So you would get two of them 
basically your sleep is divided into two naps. Now, Charles Dickens actually wrote about this in his novel, The Barnaby Rudge in 1840. So we know that this pattern of sleeping was really around with us for a long time before artificial light came into um, the mainstream of our society. During that little period of awakeness, the two hours where they'd be awake um, during their, their two sleeps, these people, our, our ancestors, did hobbies and other activities that they didn't have time to do during the daytime. And it was honestly an evolutionary trait. It was something that our bodies were designed to do. And in some people, some people's bodies are still designed to do this. They still have the uh, evolutionary and genetic forces uh, pushing them to sleep once, wake up, and then sleep again, uh, that, that first and second sleep cycle. So if you have ever personally woken up in the middle of the night at 2 or 3 a.m. and wondered, why am I awake right now? Body says, body should be sleep. It's dark. Sleep time is now. Um, you might actually be one of these people. You might actually be one of these people who um, do not or who, who experience a two-staged sleep phenomena. And some cultures are still in the modern, in our modern world, practicing this two-staged sleep phenomena to this day. Take, for example, Spain, where the siesta is very popular, and that practice of an afternoon nap gives you a two-staged sleep phenomena where um, you spend the hottest part of the day sleeping, wake up for a few hours, and then go to sleep again and wake up really early the next morning, which is I mean, it's pretty nice. I went to Spain once and I practiced that, that, that sort of pattern of sleep and it was great. I really enjoyed it. Would do it again <laughs> if given the opportunity, but our American culture does not really provide for that kind of structure. Um, <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? Hmm. So there was this like little trend going on. I think it was going on a few years ago. I'm not sure if it's still doing that, but segmented sleep, like People don't sleep the full eight hours that they need at once. They distribute sleep across their day. So like at night, they may only sleep four hours and then take two, two hour naps throughout the day. Wow. That's see, I, like, I suppose that's fine, but I just can't imagine getting like feeling rested by, yeah. by doing that like I'd exactly. have to try it but I don't think I could do it the, there's a person who tested this I think it was on BuzzFeed I don't remember but there was a person oh, who actually <laughs> citing this as an official news source but <laughs> I watched I remember watching a video about it and uh there was this guy who was attempting to kind of like segment his sleep and he ended up feeling quite tired for the first few days and I think he got used to it afterwards, but I guess that's just adaptation. I want the full eight hours, you know? Give me that unbroken, sweet, sweet sleep. I don't want this segment and stuff. I don't, I'm not asking for it. Uh-huh. That's, uh-huh. I'm just not here for it. <laughs> so this, this phenomenon of like two-stage sleep started to die down in the late 1600s. Although, as we've mentioned, it's still... It was still ongoing in certain places and cultures. Um, but there's also experimental evidence for this. So in the 1990s, Dr. Thomas Wurr had human subjects exposed to 14 hours of darkness for an entire month rather than our usual eight hours of darkness. 
And after the participant's initial adjust adjustment, their sleep cycle naturally split into, into two cycles. They would sleep for four hours, then awake for one Whoa. to three, and then sleep for another four hours. So they got that eight hours split divided sleep um, that Arnie and I were just talking about. And that kind of sleep can provide the same energy as a continuous eight hours sleep. Some evidence would suggest, but um, I don't know. Personally, probably wouldn't do it for me. <laughs> probably wouldn't provide me with the same energy. But. I guess like, I mean, we live in Texas, which is relatively yeah. close to the equators. We get a lot of sun and not as much darkness as other parts of the globe might get. So, you know, I think eight hours of darkness is pretty feasible for us, but if you're living at say the North Pole or the South Pole in mm -hmm. the winter or the summer, depending on where you live, it's gonna get dark pretty often. So, you know. Yeah, that that's that's true. Um I suppose the, the beauty of the of the of being a human is that we do we can adapt to changes like that and adapt to our environments and learn to thrive with whatever conditions we're placed in. Even like I, I read about a study where um participants were placed underground for a month in complete oh darkness and like without the sun what happened is that they'd stay awake longer they'd mm -hmm. stay awake for like 36 to 48 hours and then sleep for like a good 12 hour period so like there's and then wake up and be fine they'd be completely functional and were unaware that they were doing it because they didn't have exposure to like time like to clocks or anything like that while they were down there so their whole way of being changed and it's just fascinating that like the human brain will get you what you need even if it means completely altering the way your your circadian rhythms work and the way that your sleep cycle works yep that's the beauty of being human and having life thank you for listening to this week's episode of the unfinished mind a lot of things to consider and know about about sleep something that we do every day and you know, you know what you should do about all that information you got? You should sleep on it. You should get some sleep. Yeah. Some let sleep. those let those memory people in your brain kind of make the best attempt to remember <laughs> it later on. <laughs> the little workers. The little workers. Little workers, like the little SpongeBobs. Yeah. The little SpongeBobs in your head. With the yes. filing cabinets. <laughs> oh yeah, and everything's on fire. We get it. We get it here at the Unfinished Mine. In construction. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode on The Unfinished Mind. Join us next week where, and I'm not going to give you a spoiler, but it's going to be pretty fascinating. <laughs>